Today, we're doing a webinar on strategies and predictions for the H-1B fiscal year 2025 cap season by Online Visas and Vili Law, a Vili Global law firm. And uh, today, we're joined by immigration attorney John Vili, esteemed immigration attorney with 30 years of experience. I'm going to pass it over to you. I don't want to talk too much today. Uh, we're all here to hear your right. thoughts, predictions, and strategies. Okay. Thanks, Pierre. I appreciate it. Welcome, everyone. Um, pleasure to be here today uh, and, and kind of perfect timing. Uh, we'll get into it in a second, but it uh, looks like the uh, USCIS dropped a final rule today on H-1Bs. Uh, most of you have probably heard about that. Some of you may not. It happened late this afternoon, but we'll go into that. Uh, the purpose of today's webinar was to kind of talk about what do we think is going to happen. Uh, some of the things that when we had arranged this uh, webinar, we're going to be guessing about some of the things that happened today. So uh, I want to kind of just jump into that. What I'd like to do, and Pierre, if you'd be a timekeeper from us, I don't want to go any farther than 630 Central on the what I'm going to talk about. And then I want to open it up for 10 minutes of questions. So we'll end at 640 Central um, and whatever time that is in your time zone, if you're not Central time zone. All right. So let's uh, I'm just going to go and share my screen um, and get right to the guts of what we're talking about. Okay, so today, um, USCIS uh, announced um, announced uh, the final rule and really what it's going to be doing with registrations. Uh, so the key thing is there's some takeaways on that. Uh, takeaways are the registration process will still be $10. The registration process is going to... Um, be a little bit different, I think. It's still going to be registered by the company. Uh, but what they talked about, let me find it in here, is that that registration is going to be beneficiary centric, right? When we were planning on talking about this, oh, here she is. Uh, we were planning on talking about this with Yesh, um, our uh, another attorney in our firm. We were looking at the rumors, right? And the rumors were, hey, they were going to make this beneficiary centric, and we we're talking about how are they going to do that. So right now, you can see the H-1B registration final rule. It contains provisions that will create a beneficiary centric selection process. What does that mean? All right. So under this process, um, it's going to be selected by unique beneficiary rather than registration. And I guess that means that a beneficiary can only be picked once, um, even though the registrations will still happen by the company. So more than one person can uh, register, more than one company can register for the beneficiary, but the beneficiary is going to have to provide certain other things, uh, such as a passport or travel document, um, whatever one they intend to use when they enter the United States. So what you want to be uh, careful of employers is if you have somebody with two different or three different um, nationalities, which one are they going to use? That's what you want to have. And it, what a travel document is, is if they don't have a passport is the most official or the official governmental document they have in the number on that. So um, there's also uh, a couple other things. Uh, they're also clarifying regarding requiring, uh, sorry, clarifying the requirement regarding the requested employment start date on certain positions subject to congressionally mandated 
mandate H-1B caps permit filing with requested start dates that are after October 1st for the relevant fiscal year, um, consistent with current policy. We'll get into a little bit about what that means. I'm not quite sure. Um, Yesh, are you with us? I believe Yesh is- John, can you hear me? Yes, there you are. Okay, so look, we were talking about what we thought might happen. And one of the things that we had in our conversation is they might do this um, uh, beneficiary-centric process. And you and I were talking about, well, does the beneficiary register or does the- um, uh, the, the employer or the petitioner would register. So the Yes, the petitioner is registering. We just talked about that. Um, mm -hmm. what is what do you think it's meant by USCIS is also clarifying requirements regarding the requested employment start date on certain petitions subject to the congressionally mandated cap to permit filing with requested start dates that are after October 1st? What is that? What do you think that means? I'm actually not sure. I'm actually reading or actually researching into it. That's why I was a little late. Um, so what what that what that might mean, and we'll look. We're going to keep you guys up. We're going to do more um, webinars as we get closer. So keep coming with us. Right now, all of us are reading this for the first time. What I think it means, right? And don't hold me to this. We're we're still mm -hmm. learning it for the first time. Is that the reason that we filed H one Bs on April first? Is because you can file a visa up to six months prior to the start date. Right. And so remember a couple of years ago before the registration, you'd have to file on April 1st or within the first five days, because if you were after that period, then all the H-1Bs would be gone. Right. So they made they, they let you file within between April 1st and April 5th. And then if you got them in, then they would do the lottery from that. And that's when we had to file the whole case, pay all the filing fees and stuff like that. Well, then they went to the red the registration. And when the registration happens, then if they select you, you have 90 days to file, right? So I bet it's something along those lines, right? So if you aren't filing until June 30th, do you really have to start, have a start date of October 1st? We'll look into that. I think it's going to be something around that. And it looks like you're going to be able to select a start date after October 1st, but we don't really know what that clarification is. Okay, that's it. Registration going to be uh, uh, beneficiary centric, meaning you're going to have to have a passport or a travel document. It's still going to be made by the by the uh, company. The company is going to be able to. I'm sorry. The beneficiaries are going to be able, able to have more than one company petition for them, um, and that's what what's going to happen. It's also going to be ten dollars. All right. Um, now. There is new news. There will be a new I-129 form uh, and there will be new filing fees for I-129. Okay, so the thing is, is to follow this link right here, if I can. How do I follow this link yet? Oh, let me follow the link. Hold on, guys. Okay, wait, is that it? Yeah, it's okay. Not that right. Um, yes, there. the fee schedule. Yes. Can you be letting these folks in here? Like, or am I just up to? That link actually seems to be blocked. Um, I think I USAIS. Watched I watched it. I mean, I mean, I looked at it. 
Okay, it's all right. I'll just talk about it. Okay, so the the if you follow this link, guys, this is USCIS is announcing this um, uh, strength and integrity measures for the H-1B. They are increasing the fees. They are adding a about a $320 fee, it looks like, on top of what they had. So from uh, $470 um, to $7. Oh, uh, right here. You got it? What are, what are you looking at here? Yeah, see, um, it actually became unpublished. No, you click right. on it. You click on it anyway, right? Right, there I, we go. You can see it that I can't. Yes. Okay. Why don't Why don't you share and I'll take them through it. So you look at the unpublished one. It's going to be published tomorrow. Um, it's going to be published tomorrow. Um, and I don't know what happened here. It's a, uh, it's a long dark. What's that? It's a long document. I know. Um, just uh, I'll I'll tell you. Just share your screen, and yes. I'll take the folks through it and show them what we want to look at. Okay, so we'll stop. We'll stop sharing. There yep. we go. Okay, so um, let's scroll down. There's a chart at the bottom. If you go all the way down to the oh, yeah. chart, right there. Okay, so let's go. We want to go to the I-129. One twenty-nine. You're going in the wrong direction. Go yeah. up. I believe it'll be like 780 if I'm not, if I haven't. There we go. Right here. Okay. So the a little bit up, there's more I 129s. Okay. Stop right there. Stop. There we go. Okay. So the I 129 for H1B, those are H2Bs. Keep going up here. There we go. H1. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So how to read this. Um, H1 and small employers. Small employers are less than 25 employees. If you read this chart, you have the current fees. That's today, 460s. The NPRM was a proposed rulemaking memo. And then the final fees is what it's going to be, right? So if you go down that chart and you look at the H1 classification, we're going from 460 to 780 which means it's $320 more or a 70% increase. For the H-1Bs, for the small employers and nonprofits, they were going to make it 780, but they only made it 460 for it to be the same, right? So that's what you're going to do there. But there still are the additional fees. So that's not the total fees. So remember, if you are the ACWIA fee and the final on the fraud anti-fraud fee, those are still there. The ACWIA fee, as you recall, is $1,500 for more than 25 employees and $750 for less than 25 employees. So those remain the same. So basically, the filing fees are going to jump by $320 for the bigger companies, okay? So it could have been worse, but that's what they're saying. Um, this will be a final rule tomorrow. Technically, it's not a final rule today. So um, so what else we do? Let's, uh, uh, let's go back to the original uh, memo. Now you can okay. just go back. Yes. Uh, One second. Yeah. I'll pull that up right for you. So the original memo, again, big things are $10 registration fees. Employer still registers. You're going to need to put in passport numbers of the passport the employee wants to use when they get there. It's going to be employee centric. That's how they're going to track that. So if you have different passport numbers, that may be a problem. Um, and they're going to add uh, filing fees to the H-1B of, of, of $320 
for the bigger companies. And then they're going to um, have a new I-129 that will have a start date of April 1st. All right. So that's what we know. Um, I'm going to go into kind of things to be worried about, right? Uh, uh, concerned. Well, let's see if there's anything else in here we want to talk about. Um, and if you got questions, please uh, ping them. And, and Pierre, if you collect those so Absolutely. that we can um, uh, get to them, um, we can we can do that. Uh, so let's let's see what we got here. Um, the I-907 may have a new addition um and a new filing fee we got to look at that uh so these are things to be aware of again this is going to be the first of our series of webinars today is a breaking day uh the that that this was all dropped we will know more things in the coming days um so if you see here at the bottom as a reminder USAIS recently announced a final rule to increase the the I907 when we click on that and see what that says so 907 as you know is the premium processing um, and the premium processing, you know, not a lot of people file premium processing for cap-based visas because they take a while to happen anyway. They usually do that for um, uh, certain uh, amendments and things like that. Now, the H-1B, as you know, you can start working on the new H-1B if it's a substantially same uh, position. So a lot of people don't do uh, premium processing. When they do do premium processing, it's because maybe somebody's out of the country and they need to get it approved. They can get through the consulate. So those are some things right there. Oh, another thing, they're going to have online filing, right? Online filing of both the I-129 and 907s for the H-1B. This will be new. It'll be interesting to see how that happens and if they roll it out that we can play around with it prior to having to deal with the cap season. So um, that's exciting. Um, that should save uh, a number of different things. Uh, uh, number one, you'd be able to file it up until the very last day, right? So you get at least an extra day. Um, I know for us, we did 80 H-1Bs on the last day. That was crazy. We we had a we had an uh, our airport um, had a FedEx at it. It was open till eight thirty at night, and I remember jumping in my car, you know, at about ten till eight, and driving a hundred miles an hour to get in a huge uh, uh, bunch of those visas. Uh, so being able to um, to file on the last day is is critical. Now, of course. You know, when does the last day end? That'll be all No, Is it going to be 12 midnight? Is it the, you know, I don't know. I'm assuming it will. Um, other things. Yeah, there was all sorts of tricky things that we had to do. Uh, sometimes we had to on that day, get somebody to courier it in to uh, USCIS. Uh, we had those nightmares, but we were able to do that. But, you know, deadlines are real. And if you don't get them in time, you just lose. So um, interesting thing. Uh, so I think online filings, Definitely a good idea. Yeah, John, how, how does the online filing really make this process more convenient? Well, I mean, it's gonna it can save you money on on um on copying charges, right? And we we had to bring in like three extra copiers last year, right? We had uh, assemblers going nuts. We, we now we have a cool technology. We have like Visas.ai, and if 
you guys ever want to see it. And ours, we have an assembly station, right? So we can put our entire case with all its exhibits up on the uh, in our assembly station. So what we're able to do is, you know, in the old style, we would download those and and copy them and then and, and put them in the in the FedEx envelopes and 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 take them up there. Uh, so now we'd be able to take that entire package. And depending on how they kind of structure it, I don't know if they're going to have you do the form separately and do the documents attached. We'll see how it is. But, you know, if we're able to do it in one PDF, that'll be fantastic for us and the use of our technology at visas.ai because we can build the whole visa with uh, the brief and employment letters and all those things together in addition to the to the forms. That's what we do. Um, so we've been able that allowed us to do so many more visas when we're doing them. This is even going to be better for us. Our our system's really built for something like this, and we're very excited. So thanks, question. Uh, thanks, Pierre. Good question. Yes, um, we had some conversation uh, last week prepping for this. Rumors of what's going to happen for the next H-1B season, notwithstanding the online filing, the registration costs, um, and uh, and uh, the filing fees. Any rumors that you're seeing out there? Um, I think this announcement debunked a bunch of them, um, right. the registration fees and stuff. Um, I think we've covered, those were the basic ones that we were discussing. Um, now, uh, 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 oh, by I the think way, they were, there was a talk about, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you, um, you had a lot of uh, rumors that you read about the the fraudulent double filing, mm -hmm. so multiple yeah. filing. How, how so now it's more preventable, and I wanted to know how does that how does the online filing uh, affect employers in any positive way? I think that's what I was gonna raise as well. You know, like I'm not quite with sure. the multiple registrations, quote unquote. Um, I believe it might lay to rest some of that. You know the the stress that people might have saying, you know what, if multiple, they're allowing different employers to register for one single beneficiary. Um, and then when one person gets picked up, everyone gets notified. I feel like that might help the beneficiaries in a way because they could come back and say, well, I can go to whichever employer has a bona fide job offer. Um, does it help with registration? The government has created this problem in a couple of ways. Yeah. Number one, by having caps. Number two, by creating the system, uh, by having the petitioner register, as opposed to having a beneficiary register, get selected, and then go pick their uh, employer. That would have been the solution, right? I mean, yeah. you're still having to register, register people. You can still have double registrations, right? It's crazy. I don't understand why this was the solution out of all the potential solutions. Um, if, if the thing is we're going to have 65,000 visas uh, plus the 20,000 for advanced degree professionals, why not give everybody that registers as a beneficiary the lottery and then they go pick who they want to hire them. If they can't find a job, then it goes back in, right? And then they pick the next guy who can or woman who can find the job. It, this is just asinine as as that you would make more sense. <laughs> I think logically it would make it it's it's a logistical nightmare that the way that they have it now because it's yeah. like forcing people to play against the odds so they're actually yeah. approaching and right. trying to get as many registrations in. It's not um, going to reduce I don't see how this reduces double registrations at all. I mean because at the end of the day here's what you got. Beneficiaries 
are yeah. allowed and should be allowed to apply to as many companies that would hire them, right? It would it'd be like saying you can only interview with one potential employer, right? This isn't even an interview, right? I mean, I guess it's an interview enough to get a registration, but this isn't right. like if you get the interview, you get the job, you get the interview Correct. through it, you get to register. And the reason why it's not a full interview is because registering obviously doesn't give you the right to get an H-1B. Only, only winning the lottery gives you the right to the H-1B. And then you got to get the H-1B and then you got to show up for work. And anything can happen within that really long period of time. Um, company can go out of business. Any, anything can happen to hire somebody else, whatever, right? I mean, so so this is, it, it, it's right that the beneficiaries should be able to do it. But these beneficiaries are nervous as they should be. You know, like mm -hmm. when you have 800,000 people applying for this many spots, it's a minuscule percentage of people being picked up. So the, what they're doing is they're increasing their odds as they should by going to as many people that would hire them as possible. And USCIS is just looking at this in a completely wrong way. They've created a problem right? And then they've created a, a, a problem within a problem by trying to enforce the problem for the one reason that too many people registered. And then they scared off a lot of legitimate people last year. We had, we, we had 800,000 people apply. And then after the first wave, which was for 85,000 visas, there were still only 77,000 available for the second wave. Right. What? Eight thousand people got picked up. Insane. So, look, I don't know. I think they missed their opportunity here, but we'll deal with it uh, and we'll go forward and we'll learn more in the weeks on what we're doing. OK, so look, double registration is real. I want to kind of finish this thing up real quick and then kick it over to questions. But double registration, what we're seeing, right, we're seeing some RFEs on it. Um, we haven't seen the enforcement we thought would be on it. Mm -hmm. um, things that they're upset about, Yash, right, is yeah. that uh, one of the things I think is if the staffing company applies for H-1Bs and they're a vendor applies for the same H-1Bs and there's a large number, that's a big one. Yeah, a large a overlap one. between that. Um, yeah. There's thing that is, well, you've kind of talked to one, of the, one another. Yeah. Um, another one yeah. is if multiple uh family members own multiple yeah. companies yeah. um you know even if they're not related companies just right. the fact that they're family members um that could raise a, a red flag um yeah. that's what we're also seeing just saw um, one today i just saw one today where um a transfer h1b company right they they picked up somebody else's yeah. visa and transferred it was denied because the beneficiary's visa was revoked uh, from the previous employer, right? Exactly. Uh, with a finding of fraud. And the beneficiary oftentimes doesn't know the finding of fraud, right? So here's here's what I want to go into right now. So those are a few examples. Other examples you're probably about to throw out are you're in the same building with somebody else that, that files H-1B for them. Number one, I think there are factual defenses to that. One is mm -hmm. recruiting agencies. Uh, they come yeah. and say, here's a bunch of people to a bunch of different companies. Number two, I think you can argue that it's not wrong, right? So when you look at the final rule, they talked and they said double registrations are fine. Uh, we expect people to register um, the beneficiaries multiple times. If not, the big companies will get them all. Two, related companies can double register as long as there's a reasonable purpose for it. Well, I think that's a pretty low bar. So really what USCIS has decided to do is overstep what its final rule was by adding prosecution after the fact 
using fraud as the reason for it and not going through the basic elements of how you prove fraud, number one being intent. So how can a beneficiary that didn't actually make the registration intend to do anything, right? They didn't have an action, only the company did. And again, they had an opportunity to do that this year and have the beneficiaries register, but they didn't. But they're finding them guilty of fraud and guilty of fraud. Guilty is a uh, a, a criminal term. They're finding making findings of fraud in a civil way that is following these people. So there's some litigation going on. Most of the litigation we've seen out there is litigation on behalf of the beneficiary that was found fraudulent without having action. I think there's some litigation out there for companies. Uh, I think companies can say this entire process is flawed. It's in violation of the law. It's It's outside the scope of what the regulation said, which by the way is if a company registers for more, the beneficiary more than once, they'll be denied, period, period. They've added this whole fraud thing after the end of the fact, and they added it after the final rule. And I'd really like to see that uh, litigated. And we'd like to look at that if anybody has some issues on that. So look, um, why don't we kick it over to questions? Uh, we only have about we, minutes. You got so, it, John. Thank you so much. Thanks. So first question is from Chandra. And um, thank you for that question. It's any deadlines for filing dates? And could you elaborate? What we just read earlier at the beginning, Chandra, if you heard it, um, and if you didn't, I apologize, um, was that they want to look at dates being after October 1st to comply with USCIS policy, whatever that means. So we we did some speculation on this, and this will be more clear uh, over time. Groups like AILA and, and lots of agencies will get in, and or not agencies, but organizations, attorneys will talk about this, and, and we might get some more clarification. But what I'm assuming is that the reason that all the dates were October 1st to start with is because you can file a visa um, up to six months uh, later, right? So if, you're, if your uh, period for filing is April 1st to June 30th, then can't you file on June 30th? for the start date six months after June 30th. So I think that might be what it's supposed to mean, but I'm not sure yet. Um, let's stay in touch on it. If you if you send us an email to john at veleylaw.com, it's spelled like my name there, J-O-N at V-E-L-I-E-L-A-W.com with your email, then we'll keep you in the loop. And like we said, we're going to do more of these webinars. We want to keep you posted. If any companies uh, want to uh, get on our radar so that we can keep you posted with information as it happens. We'll be glad to do that. A information may be updated laws and regulations, but also strategies we're talking about, right? Like we didn't really get into it today, but how to handle double registration. What is double registration? What's not double registration? I think a lot of people got scared off on what that they shouldn't file visas last year just because somebody else filed a registration for somebody and that somebody else they don't know. Right. That's completely permissible for you to file that. And uh, you might have walked away from a good H-1B worker um, if you believe that was the case. Pierre, any other questions? Great. Great answer, uh, John. Another good question is, can multiple companies submit the application for the same candidate, but only one can be picked? Correct. That's the I think question. that's what they're saying. I think that's what they're saying. Um, they're going to pick them. Yes, has some more insight than I do than I have on this. They're going to pick one and then notify everybody else who was picked. Is that is that what you think it means, Yesh? That's what I'm um, understanding from the rule. It means that when you, let's say I 
you know, 10 companies apply for or register for Pierre. Um, They're using his unique identification, um, which would be, I guess, a passport number would be the easiest way. And as soon as that passport number is randomly selected, that sends out a notification to all 10 companies. And at that point, any one of the 10 companies can file for the beneficiary. But it'll only be one company that can file. Only one. Okay. So at that point, the beneficiary picks who they want to go with. That point, beneficiary picks who they want to go with. But interesting. Yes. But that doesn't really, re- I don't see the logic behind it because it doesn't reduce the number of, of registrations. Not at all. Right. And it's the, and it's the fact that they're making it the, the employer's duty to register instead of the beneficiary. That means that there's going to be, 10 people registering for that one person. We heard once somebody had 70 companies registered for them. That's just clogging it up. You know, I mean, that's just, yeah. they, they, they created the problem and then they, then they exasperated the problem. So right. here we go. And then, and then didn't fix it. So um, yeah, congratulations, U.S. government. Well done. <laughs> John, another can question we, is, can we talk? Oh, please, uh, go uh, ahead. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, is it not like a unique uh, identifier uh, with uh, along with the company? So let's say 10 companies uh, submit uh, my application, but right. uh, is this application not tied to the company and then whatever is picked, uh, that company can file? Is it not like that? Well, Senator, what we're saying is that 10 companies can register for you. All of them have to use your passport number. I don't know what that solves. Um, That still means 10 registrations of which any of them could be determined to be double registrations based on USCIS's, you know, I think overly expanded analysis, right? That, That instead of just saying the same company, it's now related companies, it's now companies that have commonalities, right? This is what yesterday and I were talking about. Commonalities are now being included. Companies that might be in the same building, companies that might share an HR director, companies that uh, might have a vendor that applied for them also. Without any proof of there being a fraudulent act, they're saying that it is fraud uh, based on really circumstantial evidence uh, on their uh, 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 you know, saying that there there must have been fraud because look how closely these things are. I don't know that having more than one company being able to register for you solves a problem that they're trying to solve. That's that's what I'm but I'm seeing. Do you see something different than that? I think is the question. Uh, no, I, what I am thinking is like uh, let's say uh, company A and then company B are there, and they're totally. Uh, uh, I mean, different companies. There is no link, uh, I mean, relation or anything. Sure. And uh, two companies are from different locations and uh, they don't know each other also. Right. So now when my application is being sent by company A and company B, and uh, let's say uh, the company B's application got picked. Right. So can't they say, okay, the this application is being uh, filed by company B and uh, this uh, application should come through them like that? Is it not like that? I think that what you're explaining is very similar to what happened um, last year, where they each depended on the company. What they've doing, what USA is now, from my understanding, is switching it to what instead of doing it through the company's application being picked, they're just saying the beneficiary's picked, and that beneficiary, how many ever companies have connected that beneficiary's passport number to their registration, they all get notified. 
if that makes sense. Okay, so here's the question. They all get notified, right? But mm-hmm. USCIS is not selecting one of the companies or they no. are? Okay. So USCIS is selecting just a beneficiary. And then the beneficiary, I guess, can go forward and say, here's my registration selection and then oh, take okay. it to whichever company. This is what I'm understanding. So this is like the reverse process. I can go to any company A or company B to file my application yeah. then. Right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I still don't see how that eliminates double registration. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, because still, if if you got picked by three companies and all three companies had commonalities under the way USCIS looks right now, would they, you know, would they let you do any of them? Right. So that's the that again, they had an opportunity to solve this and for whatever reason chose not to solve it. So- I think like uh, I mean uh, um, the here uh, picking is where it is getting not duplicated like uh, my application right. will be picked only once even though I have 10 applications so right. that's where the right so that keeps the numbers down down right. exactly yeah so so okay. I think that's that, 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 it, that, that makes some sense makes more yeah. sense so what they're saying is even if you have uh, 10 companies, your st- registration is still counted as one because there's only well, one yes, exactly. identification number that's going to be in the lottery, which I which helps people that only have, a, you know, one employer that's willing to that has one employer that's going to be registering with them. It's just you're at a one on one kind of yeah. um, your I guess your chances are still one out of whatever. Right, right. Oh, and regarding this, uh, filing um, dates, right? Like, uh, can we file uh, in uh, until October at any point of time if the quota is not uh, full? That will have to be our last question for today, guys. Just yeah, I don't think that. so. I think you're going to probably have, they'll tell us, right? They haven't announced the dates yet. Uh, okay. So what they told us is the regi- registration fee. What they told us is it's going to be a new I-129. They told okay. us it's going to be new filing fees. What they didn't tell us yet is the registration period mm-hmm. or even the registration process, right? Oh, so uh, they, to some extent, they told us what's different in the registration process. You need to have a passport number now. Um, but they didn't tell us, like last year, they said it's the 1st through the 24th, right? So we'll, the, that'll be coming. So, hey, the good news about that is uh, we'll do more webinars. Um, we'll try to do these regularly. We'd love to have you come to all of them. Guys, if you have any more questions or comments, drop the email um, to john at vlelaw.com. Uh, we'd, I'd, I'd love to take a look at it and uh, we'll I'll get back with you and anybody that wants more information about our services, what we do, what we cost, how we do it, we do that. We offer a free strategy session, not just on a visa, but on how your company approaches visas, right? So there's a lot of questions on you know, what's big enough? How, how, how big does a company have to do to be H-1Bs? How old do they have to be? How much money do they need to generate? How big does their uh, office need to be? These are all things we'll talk about in future webinars. But if you want a one-on-one on your company on how to do that, um, I'm glad to have a complimentary strategy on that. We'll show you our technology and how we can streamline that process for you. And uh, we'd love to, to get to know you better and answer any of your particular questions. So thank, thank you, John, you. And, and thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, just to wrap it up, Sharisha, thanks for your question. We have come to the end of today's time, but we I promise we'll answer it in our next webinar um, and we'll reach out to you in private. With that being said, please keep an eye out for the next uh, calendar invite and any questions or a, a complimentary strategy session, please email john at vlilaw.com, which is in the chat of this webinar. Thank you guys.
You can also, hey, one, sorry, one last thing. You can also check out our websites, uh, vlelaw.com and, um, and onlinevisas.com. vlelaw.com is really for our corporate clients. Um, with our firm, Online Visas is more of a information-centric uh, website. You can look at both of them for all sorts of information across you know, multiple visas. So 